Hey, it's DB here. Before we present the newest episode of Kings of the Podcast, I have a very special greeting from our friend Mike Fuda, who appeared on my Sirius XM Hot Stove show on Saturday morning. I missed my guy Dennis coming off the elevator, though, I gotta tell you. Don't miss that mayor. Don't miss the mayor one bit, but I miss Dennis. <laughs> exceptional episode from the uh, two guests that you've booked well we're going to do something we've never done in the history of kings of the podcast you know db we like to mix it up we have kind of a formula right our first second third period second period we talk to guests and uh, we do our numerology we do a bunch of different stuff we're just going to bypass all of the previous kings of the podcast rules so for the first time ever we're going to have four people on the line at the same time dennis the two of us of course and then we're going to welcome in jared anderson dolan and mikey anderson and uh we're gonna we're gonna see what kind of fun we can get into in the second period it's either going to be amazing or a car crash uh it, well if it's kings of the podcast it's going to be amazing Let, let's just anyway because we're two brave bastards <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh look t- today th- there is an interesting theme you know i love the connections and how all the dots play out uh both of these guys were from the 2007 draft and gabe velardi of course was from that as well and we- we've spent quite a bit of time on kings of the podcast talking about this reinvention recreation rebuilding of the la kings in this transition period that they're in and turning the page and moving on from the previous uh generation of LA Kings players and the success that they had, of course, winning Stanley Cups. And as you start to turn the page and move forward, the the reins of the team at some point will need to be handed to the next generation. And right now, a lot of those kids are still cutting their teeth. But this group in particular, these two guys that are coming on and then Gabe Velarde as well, part of that draft class, that's the first of this, I'm going to say, generation. And then after that, of course, you have the 18 class and then you have 19 and, you know, Turcotte and Byfield and Kaliev, and they'll all get here eventually. But this 2017 draft class is really pivotal. And it's also interesting because it's Rob Blake's uh, first time that Rob Blake was at the helm as the general manager when uh, when this draft class came about. Yeah, this is the, John, this is the one that, that turned the page, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is the one that, that turns the page from the core five to the next generation. And uh, yeah, so it's exciting. And look, uh, we've said this numerous times before, but these two kids we're going to have on are just great people, not just great players. They're just great people. So I'm really looking forward to chatting with them again. 
And, you know, I, in, in mentioning that Rob Blake was the general manager at the time, it is worth noting that he had only been on the job for uh, just a couple of months. And really, all of the work, it's a year-long process to get ready for the NHL draft. So all of the work that had gone into that draft really falls more at the feet of guys like Mark Yanetti and Christian Rutu and, you know, that whole group that was there. Uh, there was a, another guy that was around for part of that uh process there as well. It was a gentleman named Mike Fuda, who we heard there at the top of the program, DB, and uh, I'm just going to have to call uh, BS and lies right off the top uh, for, for Foots to say that he doesn't miss really? me. Oh, come on now. That's a, that's a, if if I sent you the text messages that came through later in the day, I think that you would uh, would agree. But, you know, hey, hey, look, that's fine. I mean, you know, he's he's the second smartest guy in uh, hockey. So maybe I, maybe I saw those text messages. Oh, maybe you did. <laughs> well, I, I hope you did. <laughs> Okay, one of the other things that he said, DB, was uh, in that in that interview that you guys did there on SiriusXM, uh, he talked about Andre Sequeira, and one of the things that I thought was interesting was, at least from my recollection, it was one of the first times that he had sort of admitted publicly that uh, what had gone down with that trade, that perhaps they kind of overplayed their hand and ex- expecting their, their past relationships to be able to be, uh, eventually be leveraged into a, you know, a long-term extension in L.A. Uh, with Sakara, but instead, uh, of course, he ended up walking as a free agent, and uh, he mentioned Alan Walsh as part of the interview as well, which is uh, interesting because, you know, when Walsh was on our program, uh, a couple of weeks back, he talked about the fact that he only has one thing in mind, and that is fighting for you know uh, his players. And so, from that perspective, Sakara probably never, never was signing in Los Angeles because they were looking for big money, not a not a sweetheart hometown deal. Right, agreed. Yeah, and Allen has a great relationship with the LA front office. DB, before we move along too too much further into the program here, let me uh, take a quick moment and mention we are coming to everybody from the beautiful Scott Barney Studios here in Southern California. And uh, I'm not sure, DB, I'm curious. Is that a name that means anything to you? Yes, yes, I remember Scott. I'm thinking he was number 51, but I'm not sure about that. But I do remember Scott Barney for a short stay here in Los Angeles. Well, one of the reasons that uh, I mentioned Scott Barney here is sort of the timeliness of this 2017 draft. And so I was going back and trying to find some connections like I, you know, usually like to do. And there was another player, uh, uh, a Turnbill that was drafted 10 years prior uh, to the 2017 draft. So in 2007, um, but he never really played for the Kings. And so he had played for the same USHL team as Mikey Anderson. But because he never played for L.A., there wasn't much of a connection. So I went back 20 years. I went to the 1997 draft. And that's where uh, you see Scott Barney, who was selected in the second round. He came out of the OHL, of course, like uh, a lot of players do. But the reason that Scott Barney is so interesting 20 years later is that he had a back injury, a debilitating back injury that took him out of hockey uh, for a couple of years. And so when you think 20 years later and the issues that Gabe Velarde had to deal with, Scott Barney is a fascinating story. We could do a whole program just just on him alone, Um, not only from his time in the OHL, but in coming back then later from a a back injury. Uh, He did get to play in a handful of games with L.A., played five games in the 02-03 season uh, and then spent some time with Manchester and then had another call-up in uh, 2004 uh, for 19 games. And, and he didn't really play a lot in the NHL. He only played 27 games. But, DB, he's gone on or went on 
Uh, he went on first to have a long career as a player playing overseas in a number of different leagues like we see with so many of these hockey guys. I mean, he played in Italy. He played in the Czech Republic. He played uh, in a number of different leagues. And then eventually he ended up with the Humboldt Broncos when they were trying to get back on track after their terrible tragedy and was named the general manager of that group. So he's continued to be uh, involved in hockey and his story is really an inspiration for a lot of people uh, for what he's had to go through. Yeah, Jay, I didn't know about about Humboldt. That's 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 great that he can. Yeah, you know, you see this so many times, uh, uh, DB. These guys that they're they're mid round draft picks. They get a cup of coffee uh, in the NHL, but they don't want to give up. They don't want you know their hockey life is not over just because they don't get to play in the best league in the world. They they can still go on to have fruitful uh, careers as. Uh, professional hockey players around the world and they can make an income and they can feed their families. And then, you know, many of them just end up getting into coaching. I agree. Yeah. And, and you know, if you go overseas, the, but look, the KHL is a different animal because sometimes the guys don't get paid. But like, remember when Derek Armstrong went over to uh, play in Switzerland, how much he loved it and he lived there tax free and he gave him housing. So you can carve out a nice career playing overseas. And when we talk to Anthony Stewart as well, he did the overseas route as well. So it's, there's an opportunity outside the NHL uh, for for these players to keep playing and and like I said, carve out a uh, career. career. All right, moving on to some of our uh, next topics here because we do have a lot to get through today. DB, uh, Mikey Anderson, of course, and, and Jared Anderson Dolan will be coming up after the break. We'll talk to them in the second period. And, you know, Mikey played college hockey, DB, and this is the time of the year. We've been talking about it uh, in little spurts over the last couple of episodes. This is the time of year when two things are really happening in the college hockey world that I think grab the attention or should at least grab the attention of hockey fans. We spend so much time talking about junior hockey and even European players, but you know, you, you shouldn't sleep on American college hockey. A lot of great players sure. come from, uh, you know, that that particular, I don't want to call it a league, but uh, style or, or division type of hockey, um, branch of hockey, if you will. Uh, Alex Iafalo, of course, who plays in the top line with Andre Kopitar, and, you know, he came from college hockey. Mikey Anderson, our guest today, came from college hockey. You can go back, Matt Green, Rob Scuderi. I mean, there are all sorts of of players that come from college hockey. Uh, we're recording this on Sunday morning, DB, and the Kings will be playing this afternoon. And in the middle of the game around 4 p.m. today, the uh, NCAA will announce the field for the College Hockey Frozen Four tournament to crown their champion. And the Kings have four prospects that would be eligible to play in the tournament. Brock Faber, who was, of course, a guest on the program. He's at the University of Minnesota, one of the top teams in the country. Uh, David Rennick, who's at St. Cloud. We had him on the program, the Karate Kid. I'm sure you remember him. Uh, both of those guys are expected to make the tournament. One of the bubble <laughs> teams would be UMass Lowell. Uh, they made it all the way to the finals of the Hockey East tournament. Fantastic. They knocked off yes. Boston College, uh, the top team in the country. It was a fantastic double overtime game. Uh, UMass Lowell has Andre Lee and uh, uh, Ben Meon as uh two Kings prospects. They're a bubble team. They're probably not expected to get in. They they could, but they're just not one of the stronger bubble teams. So I think it'd be great if all four of the Kings mm -hmm. prospects were in there, but um, we'll have to see how that how that turns out. And uh, Faber, of course, has a, a fantastic opportunity to go and push hard for a national championship. Uh, also tied to college hockey at this time of the year would be the unrestricted free agents. And uh, talked a little bit about some of the names on, I think it was the last program. I did go ahead and put that article up on Mayor's Manor. Uh, so if you want to get more into the names that the Kings are chasing on the college free agent front, you can check that out.
Another article that was up recently, DB, on Mayor's Manor has to do with contracts. We're getting into contract season here uh, coming up in a couple of months when we get into the offseason, and the Kings have a number of RFAs, and one of those RFAs is now off the board, also a former college hockey player, uh, coincidentally, but Matt Roy, DB, just signed a three-year contract extension. Yeah, look, what a great success story, John. A seventh-round pick, 194th overall, signs a three-year extension for a little over 3.15 AAV. It's just, I mean, the kid's emerged. He's such a reliable, dependable defender. Good on Matt Roy. And I'm sure right now, Alex Ifal is probably saying, hey, where's my money? <laughs> well, uh, as indicated in, in that contract article that I just mentioned there, they do plan on getting a, a deal ironed out with Ayafalo. I think really one of the biggest challenges, I, that would be a very fascinating uh, contract negotiation to sit in on, uh, in my opinion, Dennis, because when it comes to like a Matt Roy situation, you kind of know Matt Roy, where he falls in the pecking order of the LA Kings, right? Because when you're an agent and when you're a general manager, right. you're, t- you're not just talking about where a player has been, but you're talking about where you kind of project that player to be in your lineup. Yes. And probably the worst kept secret in Los Angeles is that Alex Iafalo is not the long-term uh, top line left wing player, right? <laughs> we've, we've talked about it so much right. on this program. And I mean, it's like you said, it's a, it's a, it's a terribly kept secret. Um, but if you're the agent, you're probably sitting there going, okay, yeah, you guys keep saying that, uh, but yet every year you guys just keep rolling out Alex Iafalo as the top line, and he's, you know, right. he, he's he's probably looking for more than third-line left-wing money. So what an interesting uh, conversation. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. What do you think, Jay? I would think, what, $4 million? No, I Based don't think his productivity. No, I don't think he no? comes in that high. No, I think I think he comes in probably uh, three, three and a half, somewhere in that range. Ooh, that's not much of a raise over his current contract, though. Uh, I, I don't see there being much of a raise over the current contract. I think this is one of those situations where he can potentially um, ask his way out of out of Los Angeles. Is that is that probably maybe a polite, yeah. polite way to say it? Or price himself out. Yeah, price himself out. I mean, I said ask because of the ask for the price, but yeah, price himself out of the market. Yeah. Because yeah. look at the other way. How many other teams around the league, DB, are going to be lined up to pay him $4 million a year? Depends on the team, John. If there's one, then hell is in trouble, right? It doesn't need to be 10. Um, and you look at the productivity, you look at his ability to play and what he does, and he's playing with a, uh, an elite center in Copa. I was saying he's, he might not be worth it to Los Angeles. He may be worth it to somebody else because if you look at him as a second-line left wing on another team, then he's probably going to get that price. But uh, uh, so, yeah, maybe I'm high with respect to the ask here in Los Angeles. That may not be high for another team, but it's to be determined. It's a, it's a question of maybe, you know, you talk about a discount with um, with Andre Sakara, which he didn't want to do. Does Alex want to stay here, stay with a contending team and maybe take a little bit less? It'll be very interesting. But uh, to your point, John, it will be a very interesting conversation because of what, because of the framework of because where he sits on the, the depth chart, not this year, John, and not next year, but in like two years. And if you're going to sign to a three-year extension, where's he going to be? So it's, it's, you're right. This is going to be a very intriguing negotiation. And when the numbers come out, they do, you know, sign to extension, what those numbers will be. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. And to all those people that keep asking, well, why is he then if he's not if he's not expected to long term to be top line left wing? Why is he up there? Well, he's up there for a couple of reasons. Dennis, number one, nobody has this come along and taken his job yet, and uh, you know the position is available there, right? Players determine for the most part. I mean, unless you're Dwight King or 
uh, something like that. But players, for the most part, determine how much playing time or where a guy plays in the lineup. When you play better, you, you usually get moved up the lineup. And when you play poorly uh, over a long enough period of time, you eventually get moved down the lineup. So the opportunity has been there and nobody has come along and taken that job. That would be point number one. And I would say point number two uh, has to do with the guy playing in the middle. He enjoys playing with Iofalo. All right, DB, uh, let's move on. Let's get our guests in here. We have two guys lined up, so we have a lot to get to. Jared Anderson-Dolan, Mikey Anderson on the other side of the break. We'll talk about that 2017 draft class, and let's uh, get into it a little bit with these guys. I think I have some funny questions lined up as well, and we'll try to have some fun in the second period. We'll be back after the break. Sleeping on. Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast. We are going to try something new. Uh, normally, as listeners know, we have one guest on during the second period of the program. Today, we're going to do a double shot. We're going to bring two guys in. Mikey Anderson, Jared Anderson, Dolan. How you doing, boys? Good, good. How about you? My first question is this. Uh, I, I need to know if I've been getting this right or not. Jod, since the time that you were drafted, I have always referred to you as Jod. And then I've had other yeah. people that have asked me, well, hold on, is it Jad, more like Rad? And I'm like, I don't know, because I I was introduced to him as Jod, and that's what I've called you from the beginning. So what is the uh, the correct pronunciation, if there is one? I mean, honestly, it's just how you say it, but I've always heard, I've always heard Jad, so... I hate to burst your bubble on that one, but I think it, think it might be Jad. <laughs> right. Well, then uh, I will try to correct myself, but if I just refer to you as Jod every time, I've been calling you that for years and you've never corrected me, so apparently you answer to either, though. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't really care either way. It's, uh, it's just how you say it, I guess. <laughs> All right. Now, Mikey, we need to get to the bottom of your situation as well. We had two Mikeys in Ontario, which was confusing enough. Mikey Isimont, and then, of course, Mikey Anderson. Double Mikeys. Uh, was that confusing at all there in Ontario? Uh, I think there were there were a couple times. Uh, I know going over video or throughout a practice, Sutz would uh, he'd blow it down and you'd just hear a Mikey, and both of our heads kind of bolt over, and we don't know which one he's looking at or hit away, so... Uh, there were, there were times it was a bit confusing, but I, this year, I think, uh, more guys have started to call me Andy, uh, rather than Mikey. So I've, uh, gotten that a bit more, which is something that I, uh, have not had in the past. Well, see, that was actually, that's a perfect setup for my next question because, uh, double Mikey's was bad enough. Now this year, there are three Andersons on the team. Fortunately, a couple of them have nicknames, right? But Anderson Dolan, Anderson and Anderson is spelled differently, but there, there's a hockey player out there named Andy Anderson. And I was thinking, boy, that would just be the, the worst thing possible for the Kings to acquire Andy Anderson. And then it would just throw everything into a, a giant mess. Yeah, that's, uh, that probably wouldn't, wouldn't fit in well with uh, all the confusion we already get. <laughs> all right. So, uh, let's get into the meat of some questions here then. So, uh, 
what do you guys argue more about? Because the two of you guys drafted sort of in the same year, but could not be any more opposites, right? Not just because one of you is a forward and one of you is a defenseman, but you have junior player versus college player. That's always a good debate. You have Canadian player versus American player. Always a good debate. What's something the two of you guys debate quite a bit? Uh, I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I can't really think of anything. I think, yeah, we get along pretty well. I'd say Mikey, maybe you, maybe you got something on your mind, but I, I think we're good. <laughs> I was going to say, we, those are the, the, the big topics you would think we'd uh, argue about a bit are usually the stuff we find agreements upon, but it's always uh, kind of the day-to-day stuff where maybe a little something you wouldn't even think of. will uh, will debate back and forth a little bit and kind of end up with, with one of us just laughing it off. So, uh, yeah, kind of like Jad said, uh, we don't uh, feel like we don't butt heads too much, which is which is kind of funny. Hmm. Hey, Mikey, uh, I want to go back to your rookie year. So your first three games, you're defending in the first game, Jack Hughes. Second game, Mark Stone. Third game, Austin Matthews. Like, that's not a trial by fire or nothing is, but like, how do you keep your head on train saying, wow, I'm making my debut and this is the level of competition I've got to defend. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a challenge, but I think you, you look at uh, the league now and pretty much every team has, you know, that, that one superstar on it or, or two, three lines of, of players that are all, um, you know, elite caliber players. So, uh, it's, it's obviously, you know, last year it's a bit nerve wracking. You come in and you're already stepping in playing against some of those guys. And, um, you know, a lot of them, you know, you, you watch or I've watched the last couple of years. So it's, it's a little starstruck at a moment, but, um, at the same time, I feel like we, we've got a lot of the you know older guys that did a great job. They, they keep things calm in the locker room on the bench and, uh, make it uh, pretty easy to transition and, and get comfortable. So, John, I know you're deferential to your line mates, your success, but but the, the seven points in eight games, it's not just luck. It's not just a combination of plays. Like, what are you doing in your game to attribute to the success of that line? Um, you know, I'm not really sure. Honestly, I think I'm just playing a lot more relaxed this year. I think uh, in the past, it was just trying to kind of not over trying, but just trying to uh, make a difference every every game, but in a way that I was almost like pressing for it. I think this year I'm just kind of letting the game come to me a little bit more and uh, just playing relaxed and uh, having a lot more confidence with the puck. And I think that just, I mean, that just comes with, with playing more games um, up up top. Um, but yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not really sure. It's, it's kind of just, it's been fun. I've been lucky to, to be with some, some great players. Um, you know, it's, it's clicking right now on that line, but um it's definitely definitely not just something i'm doing it's uh you know it's all three of us working working together and um you know it's been showing lately and we're we're looking to keep keep that going so jad and boy that sounds weird coming out of my mouth but uh jad <laughs> uh i'm gonna try to get used to this here uh it, it there's it, obviously you guys um are, are being mentored now by some of the you know the veterans within the group and and jad we've had you on before and you've talked about living in in Kopi's, uh, guest house and, and now Mikey, you know, you and, and Dowdy seem to really be forming a relationship there, playing together and having a lot of success. But 
Take us back a little bit. 2017, you guys are both drafted. Velarde's part of that draft class as well. The 2017 draft class is starting to have an imprint and make an impact on this team. So for an organization that, you know, for the last couple of years, there's been a lot of talk about the rebuild. This draft class really is starting to have an impact on the group. Go back to the very beginning, though. You guys are drafted, and within a couple of days, you're in Los Angeles, and you're at development camp. Now you're part of an NHL organization for the first time. You know, we'll start with you, Jad. What what do you remember back when you reflect? It was a different time. You weren't as comfortable then as you were, or as you are now, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're young, you're 17 years old, and getting drafted is something you always dream of. And then, like you said, it's it's so quick. Like, within the next couple of days, you're, you're in LA for for your first development camp, and you know I remember that uh, like it was yesterday, uh, just how exciting it was. But uh, obviously, you come in, you're just trying to prove yourself and and you know work as hard as you can and and be a good be a good guy in the in the locker room to to kind of you know show that you belong there. But um, when you're young, you're you know you're nervous. I remember my first camp, just being on the ice with you know with like Kopi and and Brownie and guys like that that uh, you've grown up uh, watching forever. It's uh, it's pretty, pretty cool. But, um, you know, those, those older guys, um, you know, since that day, um, I think every single young guy, um, would say the exact same thing of just how, how comfortable those, those guys make you. And that, I know that's, that's helped me a lot, uh, just kind of loosening up and, and just, you know, like I said, in the last question, just kind of allowing my, myself to play my game and not, uh, you know, not be pressing too hard for anything. And that's, uh, that comes from just, you know, like steady Eddie's like, like Kopi and Brownie and Dewey who, you who, like Mikey said, keep things light in the dressing room, keep it loose, but also, um, also demand a lot of themselves and, and their teammates. And that just rubs off. And I think, you know, I think that's a big reason why, you know, our draft class in particular is having, uh, is, is showing, you know, turning up to be, to be a good one, just uh, being around, around guys like that and seeing how they work every day is that, uh, it's contagious and, and it rubs off on you, especially when you're a young guy coming in. Now, Mikey, same question, but with, through a di- little bit of a different lens, because from Jad's perspective, he's going to come to development camp, and then he also knows that a couple months later he's going to be going to rookie camp, and so he's going to have an opportunity to come back to L.A. Your situation's different as a college player. It's sort of like a one-and-done. You're coming in for development camp, and then the following week, your brain switches into going back to school and going back to college, and you know that you won't be back in L.A. essentially for a year. So I'm guessing that your experience, if you will, is a little bit different coming in as a college player at development camp. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, you know, you, you come in for that week and then like that said, you're very excited. It's um it's a different experience, it's something new and, and something you always dream of. Uh for me, I remember coming in pretty pretty nervous just looking at our draft class and I didn't know anyone um coming into the development camp. So it was kind of jumping off the deep end trying to get to know some guys and luckily uh you know, me and Jad, I still remember, got, got along great that first development camp, went out and got some dinners and lunches together. So that that, uh, that went a long way for, for making me feel a bit more comfortable. But, um, yeah, like you said, it's, it's going back to college then. So, you know, mindset doesn't really get stuck too much. We're not – I wasn't able to be around, uh, you know, the older guys and kind of learn and see, see what they do. But, um, you know, I think it, it's fun to, to see how year by year – uh, you, you know, I come back the next year for development camp and it's a lot more comfortable than, than the year before. And then, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's back to school and you come back for the third year. And by the third year, um, 
it, it feels like a night and day difference from that first year you're coming in and you, you know, you probably have more experience than, than most of the other guys. And it's, uh, you know, kind of being a leader within development camp, if you will, just having been through it before. But, um, it's, it's, you know, it's fun when you get to experience it, uh, kind of from all different sides, being the young, the young guy, not knowing anyone, and then kind of, you know, having guys look to you to, to lead the way throughout the development camp. So Mikey, um, Unlike Jared, who came in as a second-round pick, high score in, in, in WHL, like you were a 103rd overall pick. You're from 180, so you're not this really massive presence guy. So, But you're going to beat the odds, Mike. You know that fourth-round picks aren't gonna, usually don't last 100 games in the NHL. You certainly will. So your advice to someone like yourself, who's 17 or 18 years old, on what it takes or what their attitude should be if they try to make it in the NHL? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of it is, is staying patient. Um, you know, getting drafted is, is, you know, it's a very cool experience. It's something everyone wants to do. But uh, when, when you look back at it, that's, that's one day in time, right? Your name gets called. Um, you know, you, it's a cool experience, something you're never going to forget. But uh, just because you're getting picked doesn't mean anything. You know, at the end of the day, it's, it's just a team that gets your rights. Uh, they get to say they have you. And, um, you know, I think everyone should be using that as motivation, whether you're, you know, a first round pick or a seventh round pick. It's for, from that day forward, it's, uh, it's putting the work boots on and, and doing whatever you can. And, um, you know, the one thing is it's always a different, uh, path for every player to get there. Um, you know, some guys can jump right in from the draft. Other guys need two years. Other guys might need four or five years. So it's, um, you know, it's individually, it's different for everyone, but it's, it's kind of sticking to what you need to do to get better, uh, taking it a day at a time and, and trying to just do what you can do to, uh, to give yourself the best chance. And for you, Jared, the other end of the spectrum, you're a second round pick. Um, this is your, you know, you've had a cup of coffee the last two seasons, but is there more internal pressure on you knowing that you were picked 41st overall in the second round to make this team and just make it in the pros? Um, maybe a little bit, but it's, it's pretty similar to what Mike said. It's just, you know, that, that number, whatever you get picked, it's, it's just a number and, and you're, you the only thing that's certain is, you know, what team it's going to say you're going to. And after that, it doesn't really matter. You know, there's, there's plenty of high picks that, that pan out to be great players and, you know, vice versa. So, um, that's just one day, like Mikey said. Um, but I think, um, you know, the advice I'd give, myself looking back on that is you know when you're kind of I mean 41st overall pick or like second rounder like you said kind of produced in junior but I think uh, kind of what's allowed me to, to get um, get in the lineup is kind of that overall game and that's something I'm continuing to to work on and you know face offs and, and being able to kill penalties and, and stuff like that because you know guys guys in the NHL are, are so skilled you know even even high picks and in the NHL draft don't always pan out to be, you know, power play guys and guys that are scoring 30 goals every year. So I think it's just kind of adding layers to your game. And, and, you know, like Mikey said, it's that day is a great day, but it's just, that's really when the, the work begins. And, you know, we've kind of been through that now and, and kind of seen it. So we know firsthand, but uh, it, it gets even harder after, after the draft to, to kind of crack in there. And then, uh, you know, we're me and Mike, are both looking to, to stay in for, for a long time and um you know it's pretty cool going through the going through that uh that process with with a guy like that okay now look for this next one 
I need you guys to bring your A game. I've been talking to you guys now for almost four years uh, at this point. You guys are always polished. You're always professional. But you guys also know a lot about the Mayor's Manor prospect rankings. And you know that I've been uh, pumping your tires now for almost four years and letting everybody know that both of you will most likely end up wearing letters in Los Angeles before all is said and done. So I'm gonna, I want to have you give uh, your best elevator pitch for the other guy. So, uh, Mikey, we'll start with you. Tell everybody why Jod, Jad, uh, still working on that, guys. While Jad, uh, why will he someday wear a letter in Los Angeles? If we want to add to the confusion, I've heard Toby call him Yad a couple times, so it gives you one more way to say it if we want to make it more confusing. But Great. Um, no, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure like everyone knows, uh, you watch Jad come to the rink every day, and, and he does the little things. Um, you know, not always getting noticed by uh, by the media or by the common fan, but um, within the locker room, the coaching staff, it goes a long way, whether it's, uh, you know, a defensive play, back check, little, little plays that, you know, make, make the world a difference. Um, you know, he's willing to do it day in, day out, pushing, pushing the teammates in practice to get better, always, always coming, working on something, um, you know, not being satisfied. Um, I know, you know, I've only known him for a couple of years, so um, it, it's hard to kind of see within the locker room as we both send younger guys, you know, trying to figure it out. We're probably not as vocal as, you know, maybe we would be in a, in a bigger room. But I know uh, when Jad's there, he has a presence to him that, uh, you know, it can be contagious throughout the lineup. And, um, you know, when he's on his game, he shows up ready to go. Um, you know, it's contagious to everyone, and uh, he, he brings energy throughout the lineup, which is, uh, which is a very positive thing. All right, Jad. So people know now about the, the, the secrets out on Mikey, right? When I was first talking about him on the prospect rankings, people really weren't too hip to what Mikey Anderson brought to the table. Since then, he's worn the C in college. He wore it for Team USA at the World Juniors. Uh, you tell us, as a player, you're a guy who's been in a lot of locker rooms. You've been around a lot of teammates. Why do you think Mikey will ultimately wear a letter in Los Angeles? Well, first of all, I think just, you know, the, the type of player he is, he's just that consistent uh, every night just reliable guy it's not uh not anything crazy flashy but uh, i remember even just the first time i went against him in, in development camp in 2017 just how good he was with his stick and and how steady he was a good skater um but you know i think what makes a good leader is you know obviously your your uh your play is important but i think it's the type of person you are off the ice that that really draws guys in and makes uh makes them want to to follow you and you know that's something that that mikey has shown uh since day one with the kings he's uh obviously a great player but uh he's an even better person and i i consider him you know my my best friend on team one of my best friends on the team and i know a lot of other guys um say the say the same thing i you know see the way he interacts with you know the older guys and younger guys and uh, it's uh, pretty impressive, just the maturity level, and uh, you would never, never be able to tell that he's, uh, you know, a 21 year old uh, rookie in the NHL. The the way he handles himself, and I know all the all the other young guys um, in the dressing room, uh, you know, are drawn to him and, and want to want to you know play the the consistent game that he does. So, um, pretty pretty amazing. Like I said before, pretty amazing to to come up with. Uh, with a guy like that and be able to see the way he, uh, he carries himself. And, you know, that obviously shows with, uh, with him being, being a captain on, on all those, all the teams he's, he's been on before, uh, this type of leader he is, but, uh, just the, the type of person, uh, he is uh, off the ice that, uh, that really impresses me. Chad, you first, when 
and you only played 17 games in. At what point did you say to yourself, I can play in this league? Uh, I was uh, the first, my first goal in, in Vegas. Um, it was kind of, kind of had a weird timeline with uh, my game, my game played, uh, you know, a couple when I was 19, a couple last year. Um, but right. I felt like that was kind of the moment where, you know, I can actually, I, I mean, like playing one thing, but actually making a difference and, and contributing to another thing. So I think that that kind of first goal going in and just uh, the confidence that gives you is kind of when I, it really clicked for me that I can, uh, you know, make an impact in, in this league and, and be a guy that can, you know, hopefully do that consistently and, and do it every night. Mikey, a little bit different of a question for you, but on the same vein. When coach told you, okay, Mikey, you're up on the top pair with Drew Doughty, what was your first thought? Well, it, it happened kind of quick. I mean, it was that, that game in Colorado, and we came out for, for the uh, second period, and Jans told me to, to go out there and, and take a shift with Drew. So I went out there not really knowing if that was uh, just for a shift or what it was, but um, you know, it was kind of nice where it happened quick, where it wasn't much time to really think about it and just kind of got to go out there and play, which uh, I think helped me just, you know, stay relaxed, trying to do what I, what I do normally and, um, you know, just try and help make him a better player. We talked earlier about development camp. Uh, let's not gloss over your time in the American League. Both of you guys spent a limited amount of time, uh, not like you were there for a very long time, but you were certainly there long enough to develop some habits and, and transition from junior and college into becoming pro players, and you spent some time under Mike Stuthers there uh, with the Ontario Reign. When you look back on it now, and I know it's still sort of fresh, but when you look back, uh, what do you take? What do each of you take from your time in the American League? Jad, we'll start with you. Um, I just, I just take, uh, I mean, it's, it's such a big, uh, difference, uh, from junior hockey to, to pro hockey, even in, you know, the American league. And then obviously the NHL is just another step up from that, but, uh, it's, you go from playing against, you know, guys that are between 16 and 20 to playing against, you know, guys in their thirties who have uh, a wife and kid and kids at home. So it's just, um, the difference in, in the strength and the speed and the intensity. It's, uh, you're, you know, you're playing for, for jobs at, at that point. And uh, it's, it's a little bit different in, in junior because, you know, you can, you can put up the points and, and kind of just, um, you know, you don't have to have all those other details in your game and you can still be successful, but it's not like that in pro you, uh, you know, the thing I found is you have to, you earn every single opportunity and chance you get, um, you know, in games and, and all that time, it's not going to be many. So I think, biggest thing I took from it is just that, that extra level of work ethic that you got to acquire to, uh, to have success there. And, um, you know, it's, it's a tough league and, you know, having a, a coach like Stutz was, was, uh, was great for, for me and, you know, and Mikey as well, uh, as young guys just to, you know, kind of show us the way and, uh, show us what it, what it takes to be a true pro. And, you know, I, I loved having Stutz, uh, very grateful to, to have the, him and, you know, very grateful for my time in Ontario as well. Mikey, sort of the same question, uh, but obviously you guys are friends. He's finishing sentence for you now, Mike. He's, he's saying that that was good for you, too. It's, it's good. I like to see it. <laughs> Always looking out for me. It's fantastic. Good teammate there. <laughs> right. Mikey, though, what, what, are, what, are, what do you take away when you, uh, when you think back to your time in the American League? Yeah, uh, you know, first and foremost, just how hard it can be, uh, you know, playing pro hockey. 
Um, you know, obviously the schedule in the American League is a, a bit different than it is uh, in the National League, but it's it's every night uh, you're playing against, like Jad said, you're playing against men. Um, you know, it's, it's a harder game. It's a heavier game. And it's, it's obviously a big adjustment from junior college, kind of wherever you're coming from. It's a, it's a different animal. So it's, it's, you know, getting comfortable with that. And I thought that's, you know, and I don't know the coaches there did a good job, um, you know, kind of staying patient, trying to help us out whenever they could, but, but letting us, you know, figure it out as, as we went along. Um, and then, you know, just the big adjustment, it, like, like Jad said, is, you know, you got teams that are you know the same age 20 like like we are 21 22 but um you know we had you know shots and you know boomer a couple different guys that are all you know 30 plus years old with with live families and um so you know when you're coming to the rink you you, you kind of understand they're coming from a different uh you know situation than we are they might be going through um you know something with their family that that we might not be aware of but um you know, you kind of learn how to deal with those guys a bit, you know, differently day in and day out is, uh, you know, our, our daily wonders of, of what's going on are going to be, uh, you know, a completely different world compared to what they have. So it's, um, you know, I, I thought that was big for me to kind of trying to understand, you know, that part of it, get used to, you know, they, they might be, you know, struggling with something different than we might, but they're also, uh, they're there to help us. And, uh, those guys do a great job of, of making it comfortable and, and letting the young guys feel like, uh, you know, we belong there. Mikey, for you, and, and Jad has some experiences yet because you haven't played in Calgary, but just, just talked about the experience of not only making the NHL, but, but playing a game in Minnesota in your home state. Yeah, it's, uh, it was pretty special. I mean, I've, I've you know, been in that ring you know, countless times before, whether it's, it's watching the wild play or, um, you know, we, we've had some games there when we were, you know, squirts or mites or, and then into high school and college. So, kind of uh kind of came full circle being able to to play there in high school play there again in college and then and then finally in the nhl so i mean it's it was a pretty surreal moment having it happen um you know i wish could have had some more family friends in the stands but uh you know it is what it is but uh yeah it's uh you know it's obviously a little piece of home there so it's it's pretty special being able to experience it and uh and play a game there now uh jad i'm going to give you a heads up here that uh you you picked the music the last time we had you on, and you went with Biggie. Uh, you went with Hypnotize, I think. So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna ask you to pick another song in a moment, but I'm giving you a heads up so you have a second to think about it while I ask Mikey this okay. next question. Uh, Mikey, this Hot Ones collaboration between the Kings and and that Hot Sauce show, uh, Hot Ones. The the videos are starting to leak out here, and uh, I guess that's an interesting choice of words actually because I saw one of the clips, and you basically said, <laughs> you said that uh, you know you you were a little bit nervous. Is what I'll just leave it at that. I don't want to spoil the. Clip. Clip, but it sounded like you were nervous about uh, getting into some of the hotter hot sauce. So what can you tell us about it? Yeah, um, the, the, it was pretty fun. Um, I, I got to do it with Lizzo, which was fun uh, since we're roommates. But it's uh, I've always always been a, you know, a, a spice guy. I don't I don't mind it at all. But I, you know, never really ventured too far into the to the crazy hot ones. Um, so uh, we got into it. There was, I don't even know which one it was. I think it, it, the triple X was, was the hot one and just opening the lid off of it. It, it had that, that smell to it that kind of opened up the nostrils. Like you had a smelling salt. Um, got me, yeah, got me, got me a little nervous to try it, but uh, no, it was, they're, they're, they're very good. That I'm not, not sure if I'm the biggest fan of uh, the crazy hot one. I, I was, I was sweating the day after the video ended still. So it, it got to me, but uh 
yeah, when that comes out, definitely going to have to check that out. That was, that was, it was fun being able to go through that and uh, you know, answer some of the questions with Lizzo. Well, players are, uh, they like to, you know, sort of rib each other and, and pull pranks on each other. So it sounds like you have a perfect possibility here to pull a prank on one of the younger guys that gets called up sometime, you know, give them some of that hot sauce and watch them sweat it out a little bit. Yeah, well, we'll tell them it's, uh, it's a light one, too. We'll, we'll make them uh, think about it for a bit. There you go. Uh, Jad, Yad, Jod, have you uh, have you picked a song yet to send us off the air here today? Um, yeah, I'm thinking maybe uh, Levels by Avicii. Kind of change it up for my last pick. <laughs> show, a little, uh, show a little variety here, my DJ skills. All right. Fantastic. We'll cue that up. Uh, guys, we'll talk to you later on. Really appreciate you guys coming on here today. And congratulations. You are the first ever dual guests that we've had on Kings of the Podcast. So uh, we did fantastic job, guys. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, guys. guys. Good, good work, Yad. All right. We'll talk You're to you. Too, Mikey. <laughs> yes. Of course. Yeah. We'll talk to you later, Yad. Thank you. There you go. All right. Mikey Anderson Thanks, and Yad. We'll talk more about that after the break. <laughs> to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the mayor. Okay, DB, coming back for the third period after having uh, two guests on for the first time ever in the history of Kings of the Podcast. How was it? Uh, look, I've said this before. How do you not root for those two kids? Mm-hmm. Like, they are just just great people, and they just, just affirmed it again. So I thought it was great. I think we should do it again. If the Kings can give us two more guests, um, I'm not sure we'll get the same quality of responses because, John, these kids are, what, 21 years old? Mm-hmm. Like, were you and I ever in a position to, to, to address media with 21 years old like they do? It's just goes to just not just the on-ice stuff. It's the off-ice stuff as well. It's the intangibles. It's the personality. It's the character. It just, just affirms that these kids are going to be who should be part of the future. They're just, just, you know, you do your due diligence and, and this is what you find with respect to that job, because as we mentioned, second round paper with Mikey Anderson, right, that maturity that he has adds to his toolbox. And that's why he's doing what he's doing right now. And, you know, Dennis, I, I've never asked you this before, but I'm wondering if you're a little bit like me. We ask guys so many questions, right? We're, we're on Zoom and it's before it's after practice and, and then it's after the game. And then even when the locker rooms are open, you're in there, you're talking to guys. I mean, you almost run out of questions sometimes, right? You just there's so many questions and then you hear other people's questions as well. But then every once in a while, are you like this, Dennis? Are you like me? Every once in a while, um, I ask a question and I get like really excited, like, wow, that was a good question that I just asked. Oh yeah, all the time. 
when so, I asked Drew about uh, <laughs> about uh, about Chucky yesterday, okay. sure, of course you do. You do, yeah, because and because it's usually because it, John, you're right. There's so much repetition here, right? Hey Todd, who's going to play in goal? Hey, how's Quick doing? Yeah, there's so much repetition in these media availabilities. You go off script and you ask a question like that. It does. It adds to the conversation. So yeah, I I do like when I, when and ju- it's usually organic, right, John? Because yes. you're going through and they're talking and something pops in your head and then you ask that question. You go, oh, that was gold. Yes. It, no. It, exactly. A lot of times you're you're riffing off of something that they said. Yeah. Um. And and I don't. I don't want to pick on Adrian Kempe, but I sort of laughed the other day when Kempe was made available uh, to talk after the game or practice. I forget which one it was. And in my head, I just sort of chuckled and thought, okay, here we go. 20 more questions of him being asked about his <laughs> versatility, being moved around and, um, you know, playing on, on different lines and, and that sort of stuff. It's just, it, it, like you said, it, it's, it becomes repetitious after a while. And so when, when a good sure. question pops in, it can be very exciting. It can be invigorating uh, to the conversation. And, you know, you can sort of perk up. The reason I say that is that my, my favorite question uh, from that interview, and it was those were those were great conversations that we just had there with both of those guys. Enjoyed the whole thing. But my favorite part of it was when uh, when I asked Jod to tell me why. Excuse me, Jad Yod. I'm gonna have to work on that, Dennis. Uh, but when I asked him. You know what? Screw that. I'm going to go with my pronunciation. I've been doing it for four years. I'm keeping it. He's for me and just for me. Yeah, you own it. I Let's own go. it. Okay. So he's, he's, he's John. Uh, when I asked him to explain why Mikey would wear a letter someday and when, and yes. why Mike and yes, have Mikey explain the opposite. Absolutely. That's a fun question to me. Yeah. Why it's such a great question because normally you would ask a scouting report on players what makes him such an effective offensive and why is he good but you didn't ask that you asked like why the the captaincy the intangibles the personality and nobody ever asked that question so yeah i agree with you that was a great question to ask because it's rarely if ever asked well the only concern in asking that question uh just to dig into what goes on in my brain was okay, are we going to be able to break through and get beyond the generic answer of, oh, we can't think that far ahead, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we, we, we have such tremendous right. respect for Ka- uh, Kopitar and Doughty, and you, you know how hockey players are, you know, they, they give a lot of cliche answers, and so um, that's where the setup was helpful there, DB. If you noticed in the setup there, it was like, okay, come on, guys, we've been talking for four years now. Let's <laughs> Right, exactly, it's a relationship, exactly, <laughs> totally. Cut the BS, let's get to the good stuff. Uh, okay. That, John, there's some questions if you have a relationship you can ask. And others you can't ask. Yeah, true. Yeah, exactly. True. So yeah, it's no surprise. True. Um, you mentioned the uh, the Dowdy thing, and I wanna I wanna get to that. But first, um, let's play a clip right off the top here. Uh, Todd McClellan. This was from Saturday afternoon uh, after practice. Todd talking about Curtis McDermott. Well, the the odd man out uh, the last little bit's been McDermott, and he's when he's been in, he's actually played quite well. So we didn't want to lose him. We wanted to keep him. Uh, up and running and uh, it gave some of our other players opportunity for more minutes up front and uh, it may be something we do more of as we go forward all right db uh i have a reaction to this you want to go first or you want to hear my my hot take on this one you didn't like that answer did you john well here's here's the first thing that popped into my head do you remember uh earlier in the season where 
I had asked Todd a question, and I don't even remember what the question was, to be honest with you, but I had asked him a question. He gave kind of a, 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 a I'm going to call it a squirrely answer that I was like, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. I'm not sure if I buy that, but, you know, I just moved on with my day. But then a couple days later, he came back and actually admitted on the Zoom in the scrum, and he was like, yeah, I lied to you the yeah. other day. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Well, I'm, <laughs> I don't remember the question. I don't, uh, I don't know if we're going to get the same sort of admission on this particular one, but... Um, yeah, Todd, I'm going to have to say that that's not entirely true when it comes to the, uh, the play of Curtis McDermott. Okay. That's, I would agree with you. I think that's uh, part of the reason they had 7D out there against Vegas. But let's move on from there, Dave, to Drew Doughty. Uh, well, hold on. I, I want to get your opinion on okay, the whole please. on the whole 11 plus 7. Um, uh, by the way, uh, before the hate mail comes in, we, we love uh, Dermy. Great guy. He's paid his dues. Great success story. Um, just the reality is a defenseman in the National Hockey League at this particular, you know, sort of time and place, uh, he, he is struggling most of the time, and he is definitely not somebody who should be in there on the second pair. Uh, he has worked in spots in the third pair, but and it's not as simple, right. Dennis, as just looking at people's records. Um, uh, you, you know, records when guys are in the lineup. We used to joke about what's the Kings record when Matt Luff was in the lineup uh, as an example. But sure. when you look at the record of uh, what the Kings have done with McDermott in the lineup versus him out of the lineup, there is a stark, stark contrast. Uh, I believe they are 4-10-3 with him in the lineup and 8-1-3 and without him in the lineup. Mm-hmm. Well, that the third pair is going to be a challenge regardless. And, and here's the challenge that I'm writing about it for the fourth period of Oracle is probably going to come out tomorrow. Like John, they, I think they played, uh, I think it took 67 games to play the first 30 games. It's going to, I think take 48 games to play the final 25. You mean days? Like they're going to days. Yeah. Yeah. That that's how they're so they're going to need something from that third pier. And I don't know how they figure it out or whatever. And you might see McDermott in there more with respect to 11 versus 11, seven versus Vegas. Guess what? 12 and six didn't work against Vegas. I got no problem <laughs> with, with Todd trying to go 11 and seven. This is the, look, John, when you, when you're, when you're out there and watching that team and maybe it changes this, you know, this afternoon against Vegas, you can see there's a, there's a talent gap there. So he's just trying to find another way to beat that team, try that combination. I get it. I understand. I think scratching three forwards, if you include Amadio, who was on way. Now, I don't, I didn't have a problem with John, to be honest with you, because you know what, he's going to need that middle six to produce. That's what he's going to need to beat a team like Vegas. Cause you know, if you look at Vegas on Friday night, four goals from three different lines, that's how they do it. And this is what the team needs to get there. So that extra or lack of extra forward. And then Todd, of course, put a one player on blast and probably the entire team, he goes, it didn't matter because we had some guys who, who were dressed as part of 11 forwards who didn't show up. So mm-hmm. um, I had no problem with that strategy, John. I don't think he'll utilize it again. I can't hold him for trying. See, I'm the op- I'm in the opposite camp, Dennis. I, I don't like 11 plus 7 for the reasons that I brought up to Todd on, on the Zoom. I think that it limits his ability to be able to uh, mix and match and change. Not mix and match, excuse me, but but to change uh, uh, guys, to, to move guys around the lineup. And I know he's like, hey, look, when you're losing, you're going to shorten the bench and go to three lines anyway. Well, yeah, but right. you, you, you are not just really short one forward. You, all, you actually, in my mind, are almost short three forwards because that – you end up double shifting guys to make up a fourth line um, or 
which burns them out, or you end up not playing that fourth line very much at all because they don't have another partner to put them with. So I, I just don't like what it does. And then he he sort of mentioned it as well, and that is the extra work that it puts on Trent Yanni. And uh, this is things that we've heard from other coaches in the past as well, that the challenge of playing 7D is more about the chaos that it creates with the defensemen than it does uh, in terms of what it creates with the forwards. But I don't know. I just don't like it. I think with a team like Vegas, you're trying to roll four lines. That's what the Kings were talking about um, pre pregame on Friday morning. And you're not able to roll four lines when you are limited among the forwards. So yeah, I, I, to your point though, Dennis, look, 12 and six didn't work. 11 and seven didn't work. So let's not spend too much time talking about it. Other than the fact that Todd said, that he he expects to, or he said something along the lines of, you know, don't be surprised if you see it again this season. So uh, I guess we can put a pin in it until until they do eleven and seven again, and then we can evaluate whether it worked better uh, the second time. Sounds good. Let's do it. Okay, we have a couple of more clips here, DB. These were some good ones uh, coming in. I'll tell you what, before we get to Dowdy, let's get to Velarde first because you, you made mention uh, of, of Todd sort of putting players on blast. He has not been pleased with young Gabe Velarde over the last couple of games. He he benched him uh, in the second period of Wednesday's game and limited his time, and then he was benched again for a stretch uh, on the game on Friday against Vegas. So that's two games in a row where he's had an extended visit, I guess, an extended period where he has uh, spent time on the bench. And, uh, well, your, your new target this year, uh, DB, Gabe Velarde. Well, it's not, it's not just me, John. It's the coach who, who limited his play time in consecutive games. And the stretch was longer against Vegas because they're a better team. And then he put, then he called him out. He said he needs to be a factor in the game. This is a second-line center. Yes, he needs to be a factor in, in teams. At this point, John, you could talk about productivity, but when you get to a point now where we're, what, 29, 30 games in, and Gabe has as many points as Trevor Moore, it's an issue. It's a problem. Now, you can point at the wingers and the lack of production. You keep him and bring up Martin Furk, every other uh, podcast, to, you know, grab the reins and lead, right? And this, I get it. it, it look, John, if he plays the entire season, he'll have, what, 68 or 70 games in? That's two-thirds of a regular or maybe four-fifths of a regular season. So, yes, there's time. Yes, he's not failing. He's not going to be a bum, whatever. But he, he has to turn it here. Like, just too much now. You're playing – you played less than 10 minutes in an important game against a division leader. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not – you're not trending in the right direction. You have to turn it some way and find a way to turn it. And that's the challenges of playing at the, the most elite league in the world. So, yeah, he's my target because I think the expectations – are really high here, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you thought maybe 20, 20, 25, 25 this year. It's not trending in that direction. And now you get to a point where there's some regression. It's a concern. Doesn't mean I think he's a failure. It doesn't mean I think they should trade him. It means that he needs to he needs to find a way. Yeah. And I, it's I, as simple as that. And and I would agree uh that that up until this point we have not seen um Velarde producing on the score sheet I think there was a time period and it was as recently as just maybe about 10 days ago there was a time period where even though the points weren't there if you watched Velarde on a night in and night out basis you could walk away from the game and you would say wow he is really making a difference in the game yes. it's, it's very similar to watching yes. Quinton Byfield down with the Ontario Reign if you if you just look at the score sheet over the first six eight ten games you go, oh, wow, Byfield's not producing. He's not doing anything. And then uh, if you just look at the score sheet for the last couple of games, you would say, oh, wow, you know, four-game point streak, he's really figuring it out. But if you talk to the coaches and if you talk to the people that are following the team uh, uh, very closely internally, uh, you know, they can talk up the things that, that, that Quentin was doing prior to that. And that's what was 
the deal with Velarde to me was if you watched very closely and and just on him, there was a stretch there for a couple of weeks where he might have been the team's best player. And I know that people don't want to hear that because they're going to look at Brown's goals or they're going to look at whatever, you know, Dowdy going on a Norris run, Kopitar and a Hart, uh, you know, nominee type season. Uh, but Velarde was very, very good. And it's amazing how at the snap of a fingers uh, that is sort of seemed to have disappeared here of late. One thing you just said, though, sparked a memory for me. And that is uh, Todd was very yeah. quick to point out that Jeff Carter recently, perhaps part of his quote unquote problems have been the number of players that he's been, uh, you know, paired with recently and how that's changed quite a bit. And it's interesting how when it comes to a center, centers aren't always afforded sort of the same thing. I, I'm not somebody who subscribes to the theory that, you know, uh, in order for a great player to produce, he has to be surrounded by great players. No, I'd rather have a great player who brings out the best than other players. You know, uh, back many, many years ago, Gretzky made, you know, Yachmanev look like Pavel Bur- uh, uh, Bure. Um, same type of thing. You'd like to see Velarde elevate the play of his wingers, probably much like Carter did at center when he was playing with a young Toffoli and Pearson. So Velarde you can't use the, as you said, Dennis, you can't use the wingers as an excuse. I just think it's interesting um, to compare the comments about let's give Jeff Carter a little bit of slack because of the number of guys he's played with, but you don't afford the same type of uh, luxury to, to someone like a Gabe Velarde, maybe because he's the, remember the play. He lost the face off. Then he lost his man in the slot. He didn't tie Kyle Carlson deflection lead goal. Mm Mm-hmm sat on the bench right after that series of, and it was a five second shift. That was it. Todd had enough. And that's what you can't. So I don't care about scoring goals. You got to win a face off like in your own zone. You, you got to tie up the player in the zone. He didn't do anything. And that was, that was a microcosm of the regression. I'm, I'm not saying it's going to continue. I don't think it, but that was, that was the tipping point for Todd. He goes, that's it. That's enough. He didn't do anything on that shift in an important game. And that's what led to the benching. And I think he'll, and John, best case scenario, which I hope happens, you learn lessons from that. You look at the video of that shift and goes, I was really crappy on that shift. I need to do way better. So it's not just about scoring goals, getting points. And I agree with you, John. I remember a shift against, I think, St. Louis on the road where he fought and he had the puck and he handled it around yeah. three different players. Right. Right. That that's that's the best of Gabe Velarde. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need. Not more, not every minute. And it's like it's like with um, Adrian Kempe. That one move he made a couple of games ago on the power play, and he got to the net and didn't score. I don't need that every shift. Mm-hmm. I need it a couple times a game for Adrian. And with Gabe, I need those power moves, that type of play from him more often than not. Like, we'll see it more in, in hopefully in future years. But at this point in time, I got to see more of the glimpses because he's now he's teasing us, John. Yes. Like, you're right. You see those shifts where he's te- – and it, it's a matter of maturity. It's a matter of focus, whatever it is. And now the coach is trying to get through to him with respect to extracting time and calling him out in the media. So, yeah, so it's, it's, again, it's a function of a player who's played 37 NHL games. So it's not over, but certainly the tide has to turn here. You mentioned that specific play the other night. This is the text that came through uh, during the game. Velarde lost the draw. Walker lost his guy and Velarde allowed wild bill to tip it. Fail, fail, fail. That's the text that came through my phone. Yep. And it was moment <laughs> moments later when uh, young Gabe Velarde met the bench for quite some time. So interesting. 
Uh, let's move along here, DB. Uh, we have a couple of quotes from Drew Doughty, who, uh, you know, it's always a pleasure when we get to talk to Drew. And he was very interesting, I thought, on Saturday, uh, a little introspective and, and also just sort of evaluating his play. Let's be honest, Dennis. He came into the season. He really raised the bar. Uh, Doughty loves to put the bullseye on right, you know, front and center on his chest. And he certainly did that uh, during during training camp saying, hey, uh, enough of this nonsense, everybody. I still am one of the elite defensemen in the National yeah. Hockey League. I'm going to prove it to all of you guys. I'm going to shut all the naysayers up. And so uh, I had asked him, you know, how he evaluated his performance up until this point and if he's satisfied with where the Kings are uh, at the midpoint of the season. Yeah, I would have obviously liked to, to be right in that fourth spot or third spot right away, but I think we're like three points out or something like that. And uh, we're chasing St. Louis, so... You know, we have belief in here that we can catch them and get that spot. And uh, so I guess, yeah, I, I'm pretty happy with where we are, but uh, we got a lot of work left to do and uh, we got to get a playoff spot, man. Like this not making playoff stuff. It's it's old and it's not good. It, you're not going to get any better if you don't get playoff games. So we need to do everything we can to make it. Reaction to what he said there, Dennis. Say it's old, not making the postseason. That's what a leader does. And it, it goes to mine. We'll, Here's a response to my question in just a couple seconds here. Like, that's what leaders do, mm -hmm. right? He's not, he's not the precocious kid who's the hockey's avant, who's won Olympic gold in Stanley Cup. He's 31 years old. He's married with kids. Like, this is the, the next chapter for Drew. Yeah, I mean, I think I've changed it in the last couple seasons. I think, uh, I mean, last season, I, I didn't really have any breakouts. And, and uh, the kind of the last ones I had were when John Stevens was still the head coach. So I've really... Um, yeah, I worked on it. I, I mean, I knew I needed to stop doing it. I knew it was going to hurt me in the long run, uh, made me look bad. It wasn't something that young kids want to look up. I want young kids to look up to. I was embarrassed by it. So it's definitely something I've been fixing. Um, and yeah, I haven't lost my competitive spirit. But, uh, you know, there were times in the past couple seasons where I was like, man, I'm not mentally, uh, you know, passionate enough and stuff like that because I was being able to, uh, you know, shrug calls off and bad plays off like that. But I think I've finally found a happy medium this year where, you know, I can be passionate, uh, still get upset with like things that happen, but kind of internalize it and uh, deal with it that way. Does it help you not playing Calgary and Matthew Kachuk? <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, I, yeah, that, that obviously riles me up, but uh, I mean, um, if anyone takes cheap shots, I mean, that's going to rile me up. So it's not, it's not him doing anything in particular, but uh, definitely things that happen in the game can, can make me turn one way or the other. And to me, yeah, you can address the, the points. And yeah, it's heavily skewed towards the power play, but and that's how this team is winning now with goaltending and special teams. But to me, it's, the, it's everything else, John. But I just think that he understands when he looks around and sees 21-year-old and 19-year-old players on the blue line with him, that he has to be a leader. He has to control. He can still be passionate. But he has to control the emotional outburst. And he's gotten to that. So to me, the takeaway, yeah, it's great to see him at the time on ice at top of the, the, um, the leaderboard and the points coming back and the production there. But for me, it's the next generation of Drew Doughty here. It's the next permutation to me. That's the most impressive thing because he's truly been a leader. And you know what? When the team stinks, he doesn't hide. He's done how many Zoom calls now? Four or five? Mm -hmm. And he's been transparent and open and honest about himself with the teammates and when the team needs to be. I, to me, that's way more impressive than the on Bryce production this season for him. Mm -hmm. I, I thought there was, we didn't pull a clip of this one, Dennis, but you might remember when he said this during the Zoom, 
Uh, I thought one thing that was interesting, they were talking about him being the, the elder statesman among the, the, the team now uh, as, as, a, as a defenseman. And he, and he was like, you know, what are you talking about? I, I've been that for many years now. And it was just sort of funny because I think so many of us still think of Drew as like 2010 Drew. And it's been, it's been more than a decade later. But sometimes we have to sort of get slapped back right. into reality and realize, like, whoa, wait a minute. Oh, you're right. Drew is on the other side of 30. He is a veteran. Uh, he just seems like, because maybe it's just his, you know, youthful uh, approach to life. He just, he seems like one of the younger guys, even though he's not. And look, he's always been prepared to play games. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it's it's that, and I think John Stevens talked about it, like how to bridle that passion. And like, he's still passionate about this game, mm-hmm. but he, the emotion has been taken out of it. So like, I'm not asking to be Jonathan Taves. Don't get me wrong. Right? That's, not, that's not what I'm asking <laughs> for. But I, I think he's dialed that... He's dialed that back. He's never going to be captain serious, right? But he's dialed that back, John, to a point where he can still burn to play the game, but he can control his emotions. Well, I have to hand it to you. I uh, was not expect of all the questions I was expecting. It's kind of a game I play in my head when a when a Zoom is starting. It's kind of thinking about okay, how many? You know, what are the four or five questions that are going to be asked today? I, I didn't have uh, Calgary Flames on my my list of things to. Uh, people had already asked him about Daryl Sutter, so I didn't expect any any more Calgary Flames questions. So uh, fantastic. Look, Dennis, another interesting episode. It was great to have uh, the two guys on today and talk about the future of the LA Kings and get to know these two guys. Of course, Jod had been on before, so it was his second appearance, but Mikey Anderson making his debut here on Kings of the Podcast. And uh, Dennis, we're going to have to see 11-7, and 12-6. and 6. We'll see how it all breaks down, but the Kings will be uh, playing one more game against Vegas, and then regardless of what happens today, hopefully they can uh, pick up a couple of wins uh, against the San Jose Sharks coming up this week, a, a team that clearly on paper the Kings are better than right now. Now it's time for Rain Rehab on Kings of the Podcast. I never meant to call you when you sorrow. I never meant to call you when you pain. Soothing words for your Ontario Rain fans after that debacle in the third period yesterday against Bakersfield. Uh, <laughs> sure, the word the words are very easy. It's a really interesting to me, Dennis, the amount of glee that you get in uh, uh, chirping a team that you don't even watch. But I-, I would say they played an excellent fifty minutes, and if anybody watched the uh, the the game. They would be very impressed with what took place over the first 40 to 50 minutes, especially the first 40 minutes. I would call attention to that. Um, look, that top line, uh, there's an article coming out on Mayor's Manor today uh, where I have some quotes from Robo talking about that top line. It has been 
near magical and obviously a small sample size. Yesterday was their fifth game, but uh, since he first put that line together of Turcotte and Kapari and Kaliev, something about those three players together. They're they're good for not only a goal but uh, multiple strong shifts. Uh, you know, during a game, and they're they're electric together. Those three are very very exciting. And Turcotte. What a pass yesterday uh, on the very first goal. And then <laughs> Leah Sanderson, who was only assigned uh, to Ontario uh, here in the last 24 hours, he had one of those uh, kind of, you know, here, hold my beer moments, and he went out and made an incredible pass later in the game. So a couple of power play goals, uh, they just really were clicking on all cylinders. They were controlling and they were dominating through 40 minutes. And, uh, yeah, it is it is an absolute fact. They The last 10 minutes of that game, they fell apart. They did not close a game out. I think it's an important lesson. Uh, it's an important lesson for young players to learn, especially guys who are coming up from junior uh, or coming in from college and they're trying to become professionals. Uh, you know, Turcotte was on uh, Mayor's Manor the other day and we had uh, put some quotes up and he had talked about, you know, hey, you're playing against men who are playing for their jobs, their, you know, their, their lives. They have wives and kids and, you know, those sorts of things. And so you can't just sit back and say, oh, we're up 6-3. We're just going to put this thing on coast. It doesn't work that way. You have to play hard, effective defense and close things out. And they didn't do that. And uh, the the Bakersfield Condors, who are an older, more veteran team, I mean, Adam Cracknell was was one of the players that was involved heavily in the in the comeback of Bakersfield. And I'm sure Kings fans will remember his name. Lombardi signed him to a, a, a PTO or to a contract or something. He was in training camp many, many years ago. This is a guy who was a 15-year pro. So you're playing a different level. And uh, no excuse, no excuses at all. They had, they learned a very humbling lesson yesterday, and uh, hopefully they'll be better off for it. But if you want to look back at the positives, boy, the first forty minutes, y- you got a glimpse into just how good some of those players are. And uh, we're we're seeing some younger players on defense there as well, and Jacob Bavari and Cole Holtz uh, playing playing some very important minutes. So the Rain are back at it today again. So much like the Kings who have to uh, redeem themselves, Dennis, for what they uh, produced against Vegas on Friday, the Rain are uh, back in it today against Bakersfield, and they're looking to redeem themselves after uh, an embarrassing performance on Saturday, uh, at least over the last 10 minutes. And enjoy the game today against Vegas, and uh, we'll talk to you on later on this week, right, Jay? Yeah, we will be back. We have a special guest lined up on Monday, and Dennis, I can tell you it's not somebody... Uh, Well, actually, you know who the guest is, but to our listeners, it is not somebody who is connected in any way whatsoever, at least that I'm aware of, Dennis, to the L.A. Kings uh, organization. So it will be an interesting and fresh perspective on some very exciting news that's happening around the National Hockey League.